0: I'm Erin. I'm Sarah. I'm Megan. And this is the Tribbles and Transporters podcast.
1: I think I know what this one is. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, I, I think <laughs> I, I think feeling, I've got it. I had a I think I've got Megan it, but I'll let Aaron this. go first. So,
0: <laughs> well, um, I might have a guess, but I think it's probably not correct. Um, I'm trying to think of what the what music might have been going on in these episodes we're going to talk about today. Um, in Data's kind of study where he was hidden away, basically. But uh, that's my only guess. Okay, so... No, if,
1: it's, it's not from Picard. If I'm right, this comes from Next Generation. And I can't remember the name of the episode, but it <laughs> is uh, where um, they've come across the planet that's in the dome um, that has the genetically engineered people um and troy is with the mayor governor whatever of the people um and they were talking and he was playing i think he was playing that song on the piano that's if i'm right
2: well megan you got about 75 percent of hey I'll, right. take it. So, I'll take it i'll
1: take it yes are uh,
2: you, you you pretty much yeah I'll, I'll give it to you i'll give it to you um yeah, I, I knew either you were going to recognize it immediately or it was going to completely throw you for a loop. So I kind of thought you might get this. But uh, it is from the TNG episode, The Masterpiece Society. And uh, it is where uh, Troy kind of falls in love with the leader. I don't know if he's a mayor or not, but uh, his name's Aaron Aaron O'Connor or Connor or something like that. Um, he's not playing the piano as some kid. From you know the oh, inhabitants of yeah. this planet who's playing the piano, um, in a, like an evening concert for everybody there, but it's close enough. Uh, I mean, you pretty much got it, so
1: yay! Good job, Megan! Yay, I finally got one. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the, the Star Trek First Contact movie, <laughs> yay. <laughs> So that's two out of all these yep. ones I've been doing. All right. <laughs> My record is improving.
2: <laughs> that's right. You know what? Last time you killed us with the quiz, and now you killed it with the um, music. Little guest thing, whatever this is called. <laughs> the music challenge that we do. So <laughs> you, are, you are improving in all areas, <laughs> Megan, of this well, podcast. At some
1: point, I would hope I would just a little bit. Erin and I probably oh, yeah. should watch out.
2: You might become like the... Um, oh, totally. ...evil genius that takes over. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I <laughs> doubt it, but okay. <laughs> well, Star Trek Picard has taken over our podcast today, and we're going to be uh, finishing up our discussion of the uh, series with the final two episodes at In Arcadia Ego, uh, parts one and two. But before we get into that, we're going to kind of go over some feedback that we've gotten on social media recently, and I'll let uh, Aaron take over for that.
0: Yeah, so we had a couple of comments from people um, that were uh, very nice to hear some feedback about uh, some of the episodes. Um, some feedback we got on uh, over on Twitter comes from Ian Davies and uh, he said he just finished listening to our episode on the uh, ranking of alien races or species um that uh, we just put out and uh, he listened to it and he says i love the andorians i hope we get more of them moving forward and then he says i can do the vulcan salute with both hands um which uh, i know i can as well um and when I thanked him for the feed, me too. <laughs> Yay! You guys are just running th- it in right now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, he says thank you for the podcast. Uh, so then, over on um, Instagram, um, try this two thousand nineteen commented that uh, they just learned that podcasts, our podcasts, were on uh, Spotify. So they were able to find us on there and uh, just learning that there are podcasts on there. Um, So uh, we need to uh, make sure that we are putting it out there, that we are on, Pretty much all of the common podcast platforms, um, iTunes, Spotify, um, Google, and all of the uh, the major platforms. And then I'm I'm sure there are some less common platforms that we trickle down into as well. But we definitely try to make sure that we are um, linking our content out to these uh, all these podcast sources.
2: Yeah, I think there are probably around a dozen or more uh, apps that you can use to listen to our podcast, because when you publish on Apple, it kind of automatically feeds into uh, things like Overcast and FFmpeg and all of those types of apps. So if you listen um, on an app or a platform that's not one of the you know huge ones, odds are we're going to be there. So you can look us up there.
0: All right. So we did have another comment, uh, over on Instagram this time. Um, and when, um, looking through our comments, um, I actually had to translate this one. So the, the translation I have was through Google translate from Portuguese. So obviously it's not a perfect translation, but I think I got the gist of it. Um, it was from, uh, Erico. And he said that uh, he watched Voyager and he felt that there was a lack of quotes from Captain Janeway on the Picard series. Uh, Although in the series they had seven of nine. And so there was, uh, you know, they had seven, but nothing else from Voyager. Uh, So he said the series needs to include Janeway because the Federation's advancement in Borg technology was only possible in large part by the Voyager series plot. Hugs to the whole team and direction at Star Trek. So, of course, everybody knows my opinion is going to be, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, too. Um,
1: and it's something that I hope happens in the next season of Picard. Um, I know like you didn't, in this season, just didn't have enough time to flush out Seven's entire backstory of what she's been up to since the moment she got back to Earth. But um, hmm. I would for sure love to know. Um, what's happened in her relationship between um, not just her and Janeway, but the entire uh, Voyager um, crew and why Yeah, she is as far removed from them as she is.
0: Yeah, it would well, be I really interesting. A
2: lot of the characters that we saw in the 90s seem far removed from some of this um, especially the TNG characters you know kind of like this whole thing I I would be interested to see Geordi, Um since he and Data I feel like had a much closer relationship than Picard and Data did you know it would have been of course I think there have been rumors online that um, LeVar Burton is going to be in season 2 so uh, I also heard that they're going to be focusing more on Starfleet in Season 2, so it's going to be a little bit of a different premise for mm-hmm. the show going forward. So I don't know, maybe that's good news for me. Maybe I'll enjoy it more if they yeah. kind of change directions a little bit.
0: Yeah, that sounds really cool.
2: But I can't comment on the Janeway thing because I haven't seen enough of Voyager, so... Eventually, yeah. I will.
0: I mean, of course, I'm a little biased towards Janeway, but I thought it was just strange that, you know, nothing of Voyager, not even a an offhand mention, other than, you know, you had Seven, and then there was that one moment where the Voyager theme came out in the music. But that was it. Um, so, um I just thought there there would at least be an offhand mention to, well, you know, back on Voyager or something like that, um, you know, with Seven saying something about it would have been interesting.
2: Well, the comment about, you know, you're wondering what happened to the Voyager crew just kind of had me think, well, something like pretty serious must have happened because I don't know. I would think that seven was on track to kind of be more assimilated into that type of culture and all of that stuff. And now it seems like she's done a complete one eighty almost. Mm. Um, I don't know. Like when I think of the Voyager crew, I think of like this happy go lucky crew, you know, and, <laughs> and seven doesn't reflect any of that at all in this series, Yeah, um, which is just maybe a, a you know, because of a different direction they decided to, to take this show. I don't know, but yeah, um, it just kind of makes me think that she was negatively influenced by something somehow.
0: Mm. Well, and um, I I wonder if some of it was because of you know the banning of of synths and then you know people going after all these Borg components and stuff. Um, so obviously some of that played a role, um, but whether you know, she was more greatly impacted by what happened on Mars or something like that, that we don't get told in this season. I mean, at the end of Voyager, she was in a relationship with Chakotay and, and stuff like that, and clearly that's changed. So um, something has really changed in her life.
2: I feel like things have changed a lot in general from when we left Star Trek back in 2002 Mm. with nemesis really and then we skip ahead to picard and it just seems like everything is completely different yeah and and i think that's a little jarring for some people i know it is for me um because i thankfully went back recently and watched measure of a man um because I watched this web series called We, War- we Watch Warp Drive. Um, mm-hmm. And if you guys, it's if you don't know what that is, it's uh, two um, young ladies, basically, that uh, one's a fan of Star Trek TNG and the other's never seen it before. And so they kind of watch it together and react to the episode. And um, it's really entertaining. So I encourage you guys to check it out um, if you can. But... Uh, recently they did Measure of a Man, and so I just kind of watched the episode with them. Um, mm. in that. And it's been a really long time since I've seen it. I'm glad I went back and watched it, because um, it kind of put some of the whole premise of Picard in better context for me, because I had forgotten a lot of the details of that episode, and the whole thing of Maddox trying to create basically this... Um, army of, I don't know if army is the right word, but a mass of androids for the Federation or Starfleet to use at its discretion, basically. Um, hmm. It kind of helps the series make a little bit more sense to me. But at the same time, it's just kind of like, well, are, are you going to go from measure of a man where it was basically data and lore and I, we learned later that B4 existed as well those three androids so we're going to go from that where they couldn't recreate it to what we have in Picard in the span of 30 years hmm. like i don't know how realistic that is cuz the androids were extremely pervasive in this you know they were everywhere and to the extent of having been banned and all of this stuff, and so it was just uh, maybe it's believable to a lot of people. I I just was find it really kind of jarring that you go that quickly, um, you know, with the the progress of these. Uh, I call them androids; they call them synths.
1: I know I call them <laughs> the androids for some do. reason.
2: Yeah, I don't know why they decided to change the what we call them to synthetics. Um. I, I wish they had just kept the term androids because that's synonymous with what we know in Star Trek. Hmm. So, um, I don't know. It's not that big of a deal, I guess. But it's just one of those little things that kind of bugs me.
0: Yeah, I have to say that the I'm one of the people that finds the the difference in tone of Picard to be kind of jarring. You know, to go from being a fan of the... You know, 90s, early 2000s Star Trek, where it's kind of this bright future to then all of a sudden, OK, the, the future. Yeah, maybe it's a little more realistic, but that's taking it as realistic from a point of view of today. And I don't know, I I'd, I'd kind of like to improve from where we are. Um, there's a lot about our culture that's great, but there's a lot about our culture that, uh, definitely needs vast improvement. Uh, and over that amount of time, I would like to, you know, at least pretend that we did make that improvement. So I, I prefer the more positive view of the future that the previous series brought, uh, and, While I enjoyed the dramatic story of Picard, I thought it was very well, um, you know, produced and everything. I I would have liked it even more if it was a little more similar to, you know, what we originally uh, kind of see in the in the previous series.
2: Yeah, in fact, in um, the scene where they're killing Data basically Mm. Uh, Picard's making a speech and you know he's talking about Data and he says this line that really struck me where he said that despite humanity's violence and corruption and willful ignorance uh, Data still wanted to be like humans he still saw the good which was not the way TNG Uh, portrayed humans at all you know it portrayed humans as having as you said Aaron, moved past a lot of that stuff and yes there were problems in other areas of the federation but as far as like earth went and it's you know i i don't know synonymous cultures in the federation uh that a lot of that stuff had been worked out you know, and so it was a more positive view, an inspirational view that you could look forward to and aspire to. Um, and so that, that line really kind of struck me in the differences between this show and the way that they're portraying humanity versus earlier iterations of Star Trek. Hmm. And I agree, by the way, I do prefer Gene Roddenberry's view of it even if it if his view was extremely unrealistic <laughs> you know that I think that's why a lot of people like Star Trek was because it was you know yeah. at least for our yeah, time it was very so, Id-
1: idyllic um, mm-hmm. to look at a future utopian successful utopian society but it wasn't completely utopian
2: I mean especially Deep Space Nine challenged that
1: oh for sure but that wasn't you know a Roddenberry Star Trek either
2: no, but Deep Space Nine also did not completely throw out Roddenberry's. No, Trek. it did not. You know, uh, it, it kept yeah. a lot of that in there, but it did muddy it up a little bit with bringing in the Bajorans and the Cardassians and some of these other cultures on the outskirts of the Federation, which is, I think, very believable. You know, because they're not anywhere close to Earth in that sense. So you're gonna run into a lot of riffraff <laughs> out there, you know, but um, but I still I still appreciate that Deep Space Nine kept the ideals of Roddenberry in place to a certain extent. And this show talks about them. It talks about humanity going back to them, as if humanity has somehow in the last twenty years just gone completely haywire, you know? Mm. Um, so yeah I again, yeah yeah, just realistic is a choice that they made, but, as I said in earlier in an earlier episode, I don't particularly like that choice that they made about this show,
0: so you know there are so many other shows that show us a realistic version of what human culture is, um it was nice to have something that was different and showed a a different possibility,
1: oh, agreed, I mean. As much as you know, Star Trek has pointed out uh, today's culture and political realm. It it was an escapism show as well, in um, an aspect that I enjoyed as much as it, you know, brought forward um, political things, and it did that from the original series all the way through. Um, but I I still much prefer the escapism of watching Star Trek um, over. Arguing a political point.
2: Yeah, that's an actually really interesting point, Megan, because it was a balanced thing, you know, back then. Um, it was escapism, but they did put in those, you know, political, societal points in episodes, but it was balanced by this other worldview that Roddenberry had. And so it wasn't just in your face, negative, pessimistic view of things every single week. And I just kind of feel like that's what the tone of this show was, Um, and so I, yeah. And along with that, uh, the other thing I really miss about Star Trek that that, that's not in this show is um, the kind of more idealistic crew. You know, I love that about Star Trek, and I used to just have fantasies when I was a kid of being part of a Starfleet crew. And being really smart like them and knowing all of this stuff and having all of these friends on board. And it just looks like a fun place to live and to hang out and to work. And with this crew that's, that Picard has now, I don't want to be friends with these people. Hmm. I don't know. They just all have really screwed up lives and um, issue like major issues in their lives. And the crew, they don't really get along with each other all that well. Um, until, like, the last episode, really. And, I don't know, it's just not uh, the type of environment that I would want to be in, or the type of people that I would aspire to be. Like, all of that's missing from this, and that was one of the main selling points of Star Trek for me, especially as a kid, and I really missed that uh, from this mm. show. But, you know, that this show was not supposed to be that. It wasn't supposed to be about Starfleet, you know? Yeah. So, maybe that's the that that's the problem (laughs) for me anyway
1: (laughs) i mean if it feels more like to me um like robin hood and his uh merry band of misfits that are there um which i mean i would totally describe this crew as the merry band of misfits so um but i sort of like liked that too as much as i like the um idealistic version of star trek that i grew up with i did like this show and and having not perfect people there because it's just something you didn't see a whole lot i mean you did um but to have an entire crew of not perfect people it's just i it's i don't know i i i actually enjoyed that on this show but that's just me see i'm one of those people that Uh, Loves like shows like Leave It to Beaver. Like,
2: that's one of my favorite shows ever. And Mm. everybody today probably thinks it's super cheesy and unrealistic, which it is. Um, But I like that. (laughs) I like that super, like, positive, unrealistic, idyllic world to escape to. Uh, That's just what I prefer, which is also why I prefer comedies because they tend to not, you know, they, they tend to be more skewed towards that type of thing. Um, so yeah, it's just a personal taste, I think. All
1: right. So do we want to try to get back to <laughs> these two episodes now that we've <laughs> digressed <laughs> into yeah. more general topic of the show. Well, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Well, I mean, you guys know, if you've been listening, um, to the podcast, um, you know how much I love this series and, the um two-part episode of the season finale was just fantastic um uh, for me i've um, watched this through twice um now um the first time watching these two episodes i was all on my feels because you guys know i'm all about watching the story i um, mean just getting lost in it and so being a long time star trek fan um and seeing picard's journey in the soji's journey in this and then um Having data in it that especially on the the last episode, I was a hot crying mess the first time I watched this. I thought it had a great resolution to the season and I am really looking forward to um, what the next season um, brings for this show.
2: All right. Well, I get to go next. Um, I'll just say that um, I think these last two episodes have just kind of confirmed that... Star Trek Picard is not my cup of tea, but I did appreciate some things in it, and I'll bring them up as we talk about the episode. Um, episodes, actually. There's two of them. So I'll just leave it at that. Erin, <laughs> go ahead.
0: Yeah, so I'm probably the middle of the road between both of you. Um, I very much enjoyed the story. I thought it was had some interesting... Um, Plot points to it had some interesting, um, slight twists. I wouldn't say they were, you know, necessarily massive groundbreaking revelations or anything like that, but, um, you know, just some, some neat things going on. And, um, I also had some, some problems with some of it. So, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was a, a good way to end the season, um, but uh, also felt that there were some things that could have been done differently.
2: I think it's great that we have three different points of view, yeah, on this show. and because I think it's pretty representative <laughs> of the Star Trek audience.
0: yeah. and we we'd like to say we planned that, but <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> it really yeah. did just happen.
1: <laughs> now I will say like as much as I loved like these two episodes, I do have issues with a couple of things that happened in this that I'm sure we'll talk about when we get into the episodes too, but like just overall, it was very enjoyable for me. But the things that I didn't like that I thought could have been better were like, they stuck out really big. So, Hmm.
2: From what I can gather online, it's really hard to be, you know, scientific about it, but just anecdotally looking at the discussion online about this show, it seems like, the splits about fifty fifty, kind of like it was with Discovery on, you know, the, the number of people who like this show and those that don't really care for it. And uh, I mean I don't think ones either I mean they're both fine. Like you can dislike certain things about Star Trek and like others. Yeah, I guess we'll just kind of get into the discussion. Uh, I'll start off with the title of the episode though. Um, do you guys Know what "et in car- in et in Arcadia ego" means?
0: I don't know what it means. I know it's the title of a painting, but other than that, I, I have no information to provide.
1: I will say that I looked it up earlier when I was rewatching these episodes but <laughs> I' a memory dump to that information and I don't remember.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I took Latin and so I kind of was able to translate it without looking up, looking it up but it didn't make sense to me because literally translated is kind of at or not at um, and in Arcadio I. <laughs> which I was like, okay, that doesn't really make sense. Um, But I mean, you can kind of loosely translate it as uh, even in Arcadia, I am. So it is the name of a couple of paintings, but it also um, is kind of used in other um, areas as well as like a known phrase. Mm. Arcadia is the name of a mythical idyllic, Pastoral setting that um, Virgil wrote about in one of his early works called the Eclogues. And so that's where that name is from. And it's really kind of referring to, even in Arcadia, even in this idyllic setting that we're in, which I believe is referring to um, this planet. Mm that all of these scents were found on in this show Um, I am and is really referring to death so Hmm. uh, we see obviously several people die the biggest being Picard um, in this Data you know I guess dies sort of in this as well Uh, one of the other androids died Uh, so it's just kind of a reminder that you can't really cheat death. You can't escape death, even mm. if you're in, you know, this uh, this place. So, And I, there's probably a lot more meaning you could apply to it than just that. I feel like that's a pretty superficial explanation, but um, I don't want to get too philosophical <laughs> about that.
1: So I will say, like, okay, so in these two episodes, the first thing... Well, I will say the first thing I liked was that um, they're traveling in a transport conduit, which is something that if you've watched Voyager, you're familiar with that. Um, so I liked having that as a carryover in. But I also thought it was the dumbest thing that could have been created to have giant orchids defending this planet. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. They've created plants that attack starships. OMG.
2: Well, you know what? There's a lot of weird stuff out in space, I guess.
0: <laughs> I don't know. You you have to give but it giant to giant
1: flowers.
0: <laughs> you have to say I mean, it. It's creative. Exactly. It's at least unique.
1: <laughs> it for sure is that. If yeah, I don't honestly, I think the first time I watched this, it was more like a huh, that's weird. But watching this again to do the review for the podcast, it was so bizarre that that, that was the route that Creatively that that went. All right. Wait. So so
2: the androids created the uh, orchids. Yes. As a defense mechanism for the planet. I yep. couldn't. I could. or with? So were they? They're just like machines, basically. They're not organic life forms. No that I don't
0: know. That that was my understanding was that they were uh, artificial flowers, just like the the butterflies were artificial and, and all that sort of thing.
2: That seems like a very inefficient way to defend a planet.
0: I totally
1: agree. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I, mean, I mean they did a good job because, I mean, it, they brought down a board cube and the um, oh gosh what was the name of the other ship? Neric ship and,
0: oh, was, what's the main ship on this show? I'm totally blanking. La Serena.
2: Thank Sirena. you.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my word. Um, so,
1: I mean, it, it brought down those ships, but I feel like I would, if my ship was being attacked by a giant plant, I would do what the Romulans did and open fire on it. I just, I feel like it was, maybe something different could have been done. I don't know. Like using actual weapons? I mean, why not? <laughs> it's <laughs> it's a planet with one human made up of androids. Or synths, whatever. Yeah, I mean, they had this
2: beacon or whatever that looked like it could go out into space You know, you think you'd be able to figure out a, a weapon system that could actually attack more than... You know, and those orchids got destroyed very easily by the Romulan fleet. Yeah. yeah, Just a few little shots of phasers and they were
0: done. Yeah, it seemed incredibly inefficient, which would be very strange, in my opinion, for something created by androids.
2: Yeah, I feel like data would have been much better at coming up with something (laughs) you know I mean Data would have figured that out pretty pretty easily and come up with a really good defense system I feel like yeah So,
0: the only thing that I could possibly think of that might be a reason they would come up with something that different from a typical weapon system is maybe it, it made it so that anybody who happened by that planet wouldn't Detect a weapon system, um, and wonder, you know, hmm, who needs this massive planetary protection system? Um, but then again, you know, if they see a giant flower coming up at them from the planet, they might really start <laughs> to wonder that too. Right.
2: <laughs> I mean, the Romulans figured it out pretty quickly. So. Yeah. And and uh, along those same lines. I didn't understand what was that like tentacle thing coming out of the? Was it the transwarp conduit? What was that when they summoned the um, all the synths or whatever? Looks like an octopus type. It looks like an artificial octopus with a bunch of tentacles coming out. Yeah, I I think, I think
0: that was supposed to be the like the these super advanced artificial intelligence that we're gonna come through and. And rescue the scents from all the organics
2: okay i don't understand uh this at all um i thought they were well i guess this wouldn't make what i'm saying it wouldn't make sense because they banned all scents and dismantled them i'm assuming i thought for illogically that they were calling like all the ones that were in the Federation that was working like on Mars and that type of stuff, but those wouldn't exist anymore. No, you know, they so. were calling
1: this super advanced, um, synthetic species that, um, from what was said in the episode exists outside of our space and time, um, that would come to, uh, rescue, um, synthetic life forms once they reached this, um, ability to understand that this group was out there to come in and basically uh, they're going to come in and destroy all organic life, um, to make sure that the synthetic life, which, um, is superior in their way of thinking exists and won't be destroyed. Huh? Uh, Yep. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's why why Picard was so adamant on trying to get Soji to shut down that beacon. Um, was because that those life forms were going to come through and destroy all life, basically.
2: Okay. (laughs) I don't even know what to say to that. (laughs) (laughs) So there's like this ambiguous synthetic life form that's not in our space and time that existed out there that nobody knows about except for these androids. And how do they know about this?
1: It was the message that the Romulans um, were so, why the Romulans were so afraid of synthetic life. Um, and why they banned it in the Romulan um, system because they knew that that the development of synthetic life would ultimately lead to the evolution to where they would realize that um, they are far superior to the organic life forms that created them. Um, the ant- organic life forms would come to view them as a threat and attempt to destroy them. So they're going to try to destroy them first.
2: Well, I kind of got that, but um, so this hugely advanced synthetic, um, I don't know, species of something outside of our space and time planted this admonition in the Romulans' heads? Is that what it is?
1: Uh, From what I remember in the show, it was left on a planet. Um, And so...
2: Um, Wait, this is getting even more and more Yeah, so, so Dr. I don't Girardi understand what's going it.
1: on. So, so how these synthetic lifeforms found out about it, which is another talking point, mm-hmm. was that um, Dr. Girardi had it put in her head when um, uh, the Romulan that was in charge of Starfleet security met with her. And so you fast forward to the episodes we've just watched and um, you had... What was her name? Sorry, I'm looking for it. I made a note. Um, Sutra. Uh, Sutra, who is one of the androids on the planet that are sent on the planet that was created by um, Dr. Soong, that she has learned how to uh, do a Vulcan mind meld. And so she mind melds with Dr. Girardi, and so how organics have taken this message as a threat, the synthetic life forms see it as a uh, message of contact uh, for this super advanced synthetic uh, species.
2: Yeah, but where did it come from initially? Is what I'm asking.
0: I don't know. Well, what my understanding was these super advanced synthetics left it in that beacon that uh, when we see the kind of Jat-Vash, uh initiation. And all of the the Romulans, you know, touch this beacon, and then they they get the the vision in their heads, piecing it together from what you know some of the others in the episode said. Um, that must have been left there by these synthetic aliens that you know left the message, and even to the point of they created that particular planetary system, because the, the chances of that um, organization of planetary bodies and things existing like that was, you know, um, nearly impossible naturally. So it would have had to have been created. So it was it was created as a, hey, come look at this. And then that, of course, draw, drew the Romulans to it, and they discovered this message.
2: So, um, uh, this plot's already way too difficult for me to <laughs> figure out. Um, so, the whole, like, where they're doing that ritual or whatever the heck they were doing on the planet, where they're all surrounding the circle.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: That circle was the beacon that the synthetic, advanced synthetic lifeforms put there on this created
1: planet. Yes, that was the, and the that yes. beacon, the ring, was the message. Like, that's how you get what their message was. And so the Romulans got all that in their brain and interpreted it as the end of the world. Was That message really wasn't intended for them, it was intended for synthetic life form. And so, synthetic life form gets that message. If they'd gone to that planet to get that same message, they would get it as this is how I contact this. Species for my own survival, that they'll come help me survive this possibility of me being destroyed. Okay. It's two interpretations of the same message. It's basically what?
2: Yeah. So, this super advanced synthetic life form assumed that organics would possibly destroy all of the artificial life. And so they created this elaborate scenario.
0: Well, and basically. It was implied that they had seen it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it probably happened to them. And so they created this pocket where they, outside of normal time where they live. And then they saw that cycle happen over and over again. And so then they decided to um, kind of try to short circuit that cycle and and preserve so but
2: if this is happening in a different life. space-time continuum why do they care i mean why don't they just worry about their own space-time continuum
0: because i think they originally existed in the normal one and they went to this other um, dimension or whatever to save themselves. And so they, I guess, don't want to be alone there. They want to have other synthetic life. And so they see themselves as kind of the saviors of other synthetic life.
2: Okay, this plot is way
1: more bizarre than I thought it was already. (laughs) I'm just now, like, learning this. I mean, you can sort of compare it, like, in much more general terms. Like, the Q Continuum being so far advanced and not really existing in the space-time that we see in Star Trek, but why do they why does Q meddle in the lives of humans and other species when he didn't have to? why didn't Q warn
2: Picard about this species instead of the freaking Borg? They seem like a much bigger threat. There's gonna be a lot of questions that why didn't Q do something? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah I did not get any see this is why I don't watch dramas uh, the co- The plots are just too complicated for my brain to process you know when I'm trying to relax and be entertained I don't want to have to think about <laughs> figure out this puzzle of a plot usually so. <laughs> oh my gosh yeah that's way more complicated than I had picked up from this
1: although I do have to think that the Romulans coming in with 218 worships was a little bit of overkill just a little. <laughs>
2: well, were they just going
1: to this one planet? Yeah. 218 ships came to destroy that planet.
2: Yeah, I feel like the Warbirds and TNG, just a couple of them could have done the job, probably. Yeah. Just some photon torpedoes, you know, would do it.
0: Yeah, I think they were probably assuming there was more than just this one little town full of the androids. Or maybe they were assuming there was going
1: to be more resistance than i'm just going with this at this point
0: speaking of going with something i'll go back to something that uh megan brought up when she was explaining the the plot line there um the one thing that really stood out to me was how on earth do you learn the vulcan mind meld
1: for a android
0: (laughs) yeah to to me like My understanding of it was that was a a biological and mental ability of the Vulcans. Um, You know, from my understanding of of the the way they interact with other species, you know, they don't shake hands, they don't touch each other or other people very often. And um, it was even mentioned in a book that I read that, you know, somebody... Basically, forcibly shook hands with Spock, and you know, he was flooded with the, this person's emotions, so it's almost like they have uh, uh, like psychic connections through the nerve endings in their hands, mm-hmm. and that's why the mind meld works. Like, how do you just learn that?
1: Yeah, it's like saying, I'm gonna learn how to be a telepath.
0: Yeah, now I guess it makes a tiny bit more sense for an android because maybe she can you know forcibly rewire things in her her hands to make synthetic neural connections i don't know um but uh, yeah that jumped out at me like it's not like learning a language or a skill it's something unique to the vulcans
1: Yeah, and I also I had in my mind too, like if you can make an android that advanced, why do they still all look metallic except for a handful of them? Yeah, yeah.
2: Why is Soji not metallic, but they are?
0: Yeah, I was assuming that it was because Soji and her sister were kind of the the first ones that were able to be you know fully disguised as organics.
2: And by the way, that makeup. <laughs> that gold makeup just creeped me out. Mm-hmm. Something about it did not look right. The eyes and the contrast I think it was just the colors that they used were were very strange. Um data looked artificial too, but he would didn't look that um like in your face gold. Yeah. You know. It looked like they had like a bronze tan almost. Uh, like with a metallic sheen. I don't well. Know.
0: There, there were several different colorations. So whether he just uh, you know, played around with differences, trying to to make other things work or something, I'm not sure.
2: I feel like the mind thing worked about like the magical tool that they used to fix their <laughs> ship too.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was another another fetched. I mean what was that to me a far fetched thing but yeah
2: I mean I was like well is this Disney now you know with a magic kingdom or is this uh like Harry Potter you yeah. know what what's happening here because I've never seen something <laughs> like like that. I don't recall seeing a, a tool like
0: that in Star Trek before yeah it, it definitely seemed very much like um you know if if you wish on a star then it'll happen <laughs> you know
2: I mean one of the cool things about Star Trek was that it was always based in some sort of uh, or grounded in some sort of science and reality, you know? Like sometimes it would be unrealistic about stuff, but they they made an attempt to ground it to where it could be a conceivable extension of our you know life today. Yeah. And they didn't have stuff like that, you know. <laughs> they actually had to use real tools and use real like Science to figure stuff out, mm. which I liked about the show, you know. And then you do something like this, and it just undercuts that completely.
0: Yeah, I was thinking that the the closest thing would be the replicators, but they they put limits on the replicators in order to make them seem at least somewhat realistic. You know, they couldn't create energy, so if you asked for a battery, it would be a dead battery, um, and. You know, it had safety locks on it so that you, you couldn't um, replicate, you know, a functional weapon um, that would fire something. Uh, so the, they did put limitations on it, you know, even to the point of in Voyager, they had to limit how much they used the replicator because it used too much energy to have something that just, oh yeah, it's this little thing you hold in the palm of your hand and it just makes stuff work did seem strange.
1: Well, it's not just that you hold it in the palm of your hand. It's you put your fingers in to these slots that I guess is the neural interface because you're supposed to use your imagination Mm. uh, to make this thing work. Um, So maybe, I mean, maybe those the android the synthetic lifeforms do have more neural connections in their fingertips but that's weird too <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
2: i mean at least with the replicator there was a scientific explanation to, as to how it worked yeah you know it wasn't like you just sat there and you thought about what you wanted and it suddenly appeared you know you had recipes actually programmed into it and it used chemistry and physics to make it appear you know, um, and you actually interfaced with it in a traditional way that you interface with a computer. Basically, this was just like just think about it, and it will happen. Like that—that's not scientific at all.
1: So, I do have to say, I was glad to see. Um, I don't know, maybe it just it was heartwarming to see that they created another version of Spot. <laughs> oh yeah no that is something i really liked about it yeah so to have just not just synthetic butterflies but to have spot there too yeah i appreciate that they did
2: a call back to spot yeah and it was an orange cat just like spot
1: i did also think that it was weird towards the well one that we could even transfer someone's consciousness and entire neural pattern into an artificial life um but that's this is not the first sci-fi that's brought that up but to have data consciousness um in a platform that essentially was run by three usb sticks <laughs> <I was> like... <laughs> they're like
2: huge isolinear chips or something i don't know
1: looks just like a usb stick i use every day <laughs> all right
2: <laughs> i thought that they were just gonna like push a button and turn them off but no yeah. they, they dramatically have to like pull them out one by one as they give us huge like epic
1: speech about data so yeah. but i will say um the actress that plays uh soji and i'm blinking on her name she did a fantastic job on singing blue skies um that's her that is the voice yeah. in blue skies and then hmm. um i know but scene. wouldn't it have been like way more emotional if they put brent spiner's version on there oh probably um, the fact that they had the song on there at all, I'll give them um, <laughs> an applause yeah, for that. Okay. That they brought that in. Um, right. but I just I thought you know that she did a fantastic job on singing that. I didn't know she could. I knew in watching some of the behind the scenes stuff that she could sing. I just didn't know she could sing that well. Mm.
2: Yeah, I just don't know why that she was doing it though, and not Brent. I mean, I would have to have that callback to Nemesis where Data was singing that, and then he ended the Nemesis singing it before did. As well, I think it would have been a lot more meaningful if they had had data singing it, yeah. But I don't know why Soji was the choice on that, but yes, they
1: get a point for at least bringing it up. So, I also did like that Riker swooped in to save the day with all these new advanced starships that no one knew existed on the Discovery Bridge, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, at least we got I got partially what I wanted to see. I wanted to see what a Starfleet ship looks like 30 years down the road or 20 years down the road. So I sort of got to see it, but it, def- it was obviously the, the uh, Discovery Bridge kind of redressed a little mm-hmm. bit to be the Zheng He. Um, what did you guys think about the fleet of Starfleet ships, too? At first, I thought they were all the same ship. I thought they were too, were they not? No, I think there were a couple of variations, but <laughs> it's very, uh, very different from, because like on DS9 and the Dominion War, they, you had huge fleet of ships, but they all look like different unique ships, you know? So this was yeah a different look.
0: Yeah, I didn't really pick up on any defining features or anything like that, that I would say, oh, yeah, those are obviously Starfleet ships or, or anything like that.
2: Well, they had the two um, warp nacelles, you know,
0: but yeah. other than
2: that, yeah, you know, it was kind of hard to, I think they ran out of time uh, on the production or something and they were just like, screw it. We're just going to copy and paste all of these ships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought
1: it was just 200 of the same ship that, I mean, of the same class starship that I thought was weird. That here Riker's touting that he's on the newest and greatest ship of the fleet, and we suddenly have two hundred of them. Yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, that's that's where mine was. So I'm glad to know that they weren't all the exact same ship model. At least well, they weren't it not supposed to be.
2: Really hard to tell the difference between them. <laughs> yeah, it was good though to see him. I'm glad that he jumped back into Starfleet. He had the Riker lean going on. I don't think he sat up oh, straight yeah. once in that <laughs> chair.
0: Yeah, he he definitely was still in character and everything. It it um it fit well.
2: Yeah, I felt like though that the dialogue was they were just kind of going through it a little fast, like they were trying to hurry up and finish it before they ran out of time for the episode or something. It just had that weird sense to me. I don't know, mm. but maybe it's because I'm so used to the pace of like TNG and stuff, where they would just like drag things out, you know. Um, they don't really do that anymore, I guess.
1: say the other thing that I thought was odd um, in this episode was where they've the the crew that Picard's assembled um, has gone to try to um, destroy this array to keep from contacting the alien species, and Neric is with them, and he gets arrested again in the middle of all that or seized again in the middle of all that. And then you never hear about him again. You get character resolution with every other character so far with the exception of um, the two Romulans back on earth, but he Mm -hmm. just disappears. (laughs) You don't know what's happened to him. And I, that caught me the first time I watched this that I, Mm. I remember the episode ending and I was like, well, wait a minute, what happened to Narek? What happened to the Borg ship too?
2: Did they wrap that up? And I just no. Didn't the... Okay,
1: no, it's just it's just sitting on the
2: planet. land
0: on the planet.
2: Oh, by the way, what did you guys think about Picard's response to learning about Hugh's death? He was just like, "Oh, that's too bad for Hugh. It's you know, too bad he had to like resort to violence or whatever." So what's about this other thing? It's like he got one sentence and he didn't even act like sad that Hugh had died. Mm. I just thought that that was kind of
0: a weird reaction. from. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Again, maybe it was a uh, lack of time thing. (laughs) Now, speaking of things that, uh, that Picard said that uh, stood out to me, um, we don't get it said definitively, but he's acting like, you know, after he wakes up inside this artificial body, you know he thanks Doctor Soon for making the sacrifice for him and all that sort of thing. So, is it completely impossible for Doctor Soon to make another one? Well, what was the sacrifice? I didn't get that. I I was assuming it was you know thank you for giving up your synthetic body and making it into my body. Oh, that was going to be
1: his. Body. Yeah oh i didn't yeah know i mean maybe i mean time i don't i mean i don't know how i don't know it's purely speculation on my part but maybe dr Singh was elderly and looking at his own um death maybe it was something that was going to take him too long to try to build
0: again i i don't know yeah i wondered if maybe he needed maddox there to to make another one but uh, that was my only um, kind of explanation for it.
1: Well, I mean, he even said in the episode though that he goes, "I, you know, I did the body. Maddox did all the neural work." Mm.
2: So was it gerardi that, that did the neural work on Picard? Then? Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, she f- she finished it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Remind me to come back to Maddox because I have a question to ask you guys about that. But while we're on the topic of Picard's body. Why Why would they not revert him to a younger version of himself or something? Uh, or program him no. to die when he would naturally... I mean, I guess ethically maybe that makes sense, but I don't know. It just seems kind of strange that you're going to put him back in a like, 100-year-old body, basically.
0: Well, and he did say that. He was like, well, you know, you could have knocked a few years off. Um, and they they did program him to die eventually
1: i know but like he wouldn't he's not gonna live like 200 or 300 years he's gonna live i th- was at 120 years that's the average human lifespan in in this point in star trek so that he it's not like when you hit 120 it's just that at some point you'll die whatever your life expectancy would have been had you not had the brain disease that you had
2: i know but wouldn't you guys have rather been put back like in the body of a 20 year old or something
0: yeah and
2: i don't know that i'd want to go that young but (laughs) but younger than 99
0: (laughs) yeah i mean so i I think that's what picard was saying was like well you know you could have done a little something here yeah (laughs) instead of making me exactly the same
2: I mean, I understand why they did it because you have to. Patrick Stewart has to still be old,
1: <laughs> in the, the rest of the show. But <laughs> yeah, it just yeah, it's yeah.
2: weird. So here's my thing about Maddox. Um, I I again, this plot is too complicated. I'm not following half this stuff, or most of it, I guess. Um, but what what's the deal with Maddox? What happened? Why did Gerardi kill him? And everybody's okay with it. Like, did he become a, a bad guy or something?
0: Basically, Jurati knew that he was actively trying to um, perfect synthetic life. And, of course, originally she was his partner in that. She wanted that. But then when she was shown the um, the vision by Commodore O, um you know, she interpreted it the same way that the, the Romulans did, which was synthetic life is going to end all organic life. And so she was basically set on a mission to kill Maddox so that um, he couldn't finish his work to perfect synthetics.
2: But everybody's okay with that. Including Soong, uh, uh, whatever his name is.
1: I think it's more because they all... Assume, and this may be from dialogue that was left on the cutting room floor. Um, but my take on it was that they all act like that was part of um, when O mind melded with her, that she made that like an imperative that Girardi wouldn't be able to not do, that she wouldn't be able to not kill him, that that was some like an embedded command that was put inside her brain.
2: So, they're treating it as Uh, like involuntary manslaughter, basically.
1: Or brainwashing. Yeah. Yeah. So, another
2: thing that really stuck out in this to me, just because of where I used to live, uh, they were obviously filming in Malibu. um, Okay. Because I've been kind of where they were filming before. And I guess if you're not, if you've never lived in California, I mean, I think everybody can assume that they were filming in California. um, But. I used to live in the Santa Monica mountains where they were filming that uh, adjacent to Malibu. And so I was in that area constantly. And so as soon as I got off the La Serena, I was like, oh, they're in the Santa Monica mountains. It looks like where I live. (laughs) And it was obviously like they had CGI, a lot of the plants and stuff like these different colors to kind of hide that fact a little bit. And then of course they're at a house. I don't know. I guess they they f- were filming at some house um, on the mountainside overlooking the ocean there. And um, yeah, looking down on that. I mean, I've I can't tell you how many times I've stood there, maybe not in that exact spot, but in a spot like that in Malibu uh, with that view, and uh, been around a lot of those houses and stuff. And so I was like, "Yep, Santa Monica Mountains, Malibu," and that's and. That's all I can think about <laughs> when I was watching <laughs>
1: that part of the episode.
2: That's unfortunate that you never yeah. like
1: stumbled across the production
2: while you were out there. I know. Maybe I drove past it and didn't even know. Because they, what happens in uh, when they do the productions is you know when they're filming something. Because they have these signs. Uh, and I see them a lot in that area, too. Uh, maybe I drove past the production. But... They have these signs, and what they do is they give the production a fake name uh, so Mm. that people driving, you know, passing by don't know what it is. Uh, Because if they had put the actual production name, then they would probably get a lot of people stopping and trying to, you know, trespass and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So they do these code names, so you don't know what's there. But they have, like, the sign with the name, and then it has, like, arrows uh, that point to home base basically is where um, you kind of check in for the production and everything and um, go to wherever your department is. So uh, yeah, I see those signs all the time driving around LA and even in the Santa Monica mountains. So for all I know, I probably did drive past them at some point. But uh, it's just interesting. I only would have known all of that if I lived there. I think if I hadn't lived in California, I wouldn't have been that aware of it, you know? Yeah. So, I don't know. That was just something I personally took from the uh, episode. So
1: I did notice Picard's jacket at the very end of the episode to where it was very much styled after the uniform jacket that he wore on um, TNG, and I don't remember if he wore that up earlier in the episodes in the show.
2: Yeah, he did. He did. He wore it on the um, Romulan planet. Okay. When, uh, yeah, yeah, but I did notice that too. I was like, yeah, that's definitely done in that old school design. I will say a good a good thing about this episode that I kind of appreciated was the whole, um plot of Picard being on this planet uh, with this species, this remote planet with this species, and they're in danger, and he has to help save them and all of this stuff. That's a plot that we saw all the time in TNG, and it just kind of gave me TNG vibes a lot. and I'm sure Voyager was the same way. Mm. Um, but it just had kind of that old-school flavor of Star Trek with the type of stories that they used to tell. So I saw that in this um, I guess it's a, a subplot of the larger plot that's going on with this show, but um, it felt very much like watching Picard uh, standing in front of all of these scents on the planet and trying to tell them that he was going to save them and all of his stuff. It was like, I've seen Picard do this a lot on other planets with other species and in and TNG and it just kind of took me back to that, so so there are elements of um, Star Trek that were recognizable in this for me. And I'm glad that that there were. Um, so I think that was a positive that I took from this.
1: Hmm. Yeah, even with um, Picard, when he's addressing Soji and it's being um, broadcast to the Romulans and to the, the Starship, um, Federation Starships that are there, Starfleet star- Starships that are there. Um, and watching... Riker's reaction to Picard being Picard and doing this great um, speech to Soji—that was fun for me. That you you saw it on his face, to where he you had he had this like nostalgic grin of like, "Oh, this is this is the captain I remember." Hmm.
2: Yeah, and I also noticed that since Picard got in his android body, um, that engage that he gave at the very end was much more commanding, like I remember him being. Hmm. You know he's been very uh, and I this has I hope this is Patrick Stewart acting but he's been very kind of bumbling and old manny yeah <laughs> so this whole time you know yeah uh, and the tone that he's been delivering his lines with reminds me of when an adult is talking to a child um in a lot of ways and it just did not feel like The Picard that we're used to, and of course this is 30 years on, you know, so he's going to be different, but um, I just noticed that he had a very different tone at the very end when he gave that engage, so I'm hoping that was an acting choice by Stuart to do that, and that we'll see Picard act a little bit more like his old self in season
0: two. Yeah, my assumption is that is the case, because um, throughout this series we got mentions of him, you know, he's like, I don't feel like myself or, you know, I I gave up when I shouldn't have and he has regrets and things like that. So I think it was sort of he felt diminished. And so that's why he was acting so very differently. And then when he gets this kind of boost after all right i accomplished something similar to what i used to always accomplish maybe i haven't lost myself after all and that's when we get the more confident version
1: what also makes me wonder too like how much of that was a result of his the brain condition that he had um or whatever Mm. whatever was wrong with his brain um how much of that was a result of that 'Cause this very for me was very much I'm gonna make this last last ditch effort to accomplish um this goal before I die was the the vibe that I had from him. So it it as you know, I had a grand my grandmother um passed away from Alzheimer's and so watching her diminish through um having Alzheimer's um and seeing her how she reacted to things, how that changed from the person I knew growing up to a virtual stranger um, by the end. I mean, so it, it just makes me wonder how much of whatever his brain disease that he had or, or condition was an influence on how he acted and reacted to things.
2: I wish that they had defined that, uh, actually. I was thinking, he kept saying, why well, I have a brain condition, but I wish they had put a name to it. You know, it would have been nice to... Uh, know if it was the ehlers syndrome. syndrome right. that he, you know, or if it was something else, you know. And I think that they could have probably done, if that's the case, Megan, what you just said. It, I wish that they had just done a little bit better job of letting us know
1: that that's what's affecting him. It was almost like he was having an aneurysm, or experiencing mm. an aneurysm. Uh, there at the well, end, I'm not talking but, about but in yes, just in just, this episode, just but defining the whole series. What it is. Yeah,
2: yeah. I have to say that um, Michael Chabon, basically, I saw an interview with him where he was saying that he, I think it was right before he came on board this show, he had to deal with the death of his own father,
0: hmm.
2: and I read a he put an article in the New Yorker or some big magazine like that where it had a picture of him in the hospital at his dad's bedside or whatever. And he was talking about in that article about what he went through with his dad dying. Yeah. And uh, he said, so that was kind of the inspiration with the storyline with Picard and through Picard's death. And I guess an extension of like through data's death, um, that was kind of a cathartic way of him dealing with his own father's death
1: and yeah um, so he kind of used this show for that yeah I totally get it because um, you know my dad passed away almost five years ago from cancer um, and so like I think that's why it emotionally hit me so hard the first time I watched this episode because I've been where all these characters were um, on watching a father figure and a mentor pass away especially one that you weren't One you didn't even know was sick. Uh, So like, yeah, I I mean, I totally, I get like where he can't, where Michael Chabon came from on um, doing this. So um, I just remember when I was watching that again today, that that's, it sort of struck me. Like I I know, you know, where all these characters are because I've been there. I I think those that have lost a a parent um, or a, a father would be right there too because you've you've been there you know what this exactly what this feels like
2: yeah I had a harder time relating to it because I haven't been in that position yet but um, for me it was kind of strange I I guess I had always envisioned that when Picard passed away he would be surrounded (laughs) by the TNG crew or something I don't know just by people that had known him for a really long time Um, of course that wasn't I mean he didn't have that chance given the situation with this but um so for me it was kind of like yeah he kind of died in this circle of people
1: who barely knew him you know and I felt like he deserved better than that I would say that this thought just struck me I was like can you imagine what Riker's reaction is like I mean he's gonna find out that Picard died in his in a synthetic <laughs> body, I mean. So, can you imagine like that confrontation of why didn't you tell me? Like we we had just talked, and then you died right after that. Uh, so, I can just in my head, it's very funny that, <laughs> that their their interaction of what would be um, <laughs> of what has happened.
2: Well, hopefully, in season two, we get to see that. You know, because I know Freaks is going to be back to direct, and I I don't. I mean. I don't know for sure, but it i I've seen implications that Riker and Troy might be back for season two. I hope so in some capacity. I hope so too, and I hope their kid comes along with them, but i I bet you if that does happen, uh we'll, Riker will bring that up. so is there anything else you guys could think about? I don't think I have no, I'm good, much to add. No, I don't have anything either. Well, I'm a little more hopeful for season two based on what I've heard so fingers crossed I'll enjoy that one a little bit better we'll get to see more Starfleet maybe we'll get some reversion now that the Sith ban is over with and you know seems like some of Gene Roddenberry's vision has been restored (laughs) to this universe hopefully we will um, get a little bit more of what we're used to in Star Trek as far as like the worldview and all of that and like I said Starfleet and stuff like that so and also getting to see more legacy characters Mm. looking Guinan's going to be there so it'll be interesting to see what they do with her character
0: yeah it's going to be really really neat looking forward
2: I think it's going to be a while though they haven't resumed filming yet so it's going to be at least a year I would say a year year and a half before we get another Mm. season of Picard so
1: I'll give us time but, to catch up on Discovery if we <laughs> choose yeah. to do that.
2: I was going to say, maybe we should plot Discovery in the rotation um, since it's already in Season 3, basically. Um, we'll talk about that. Uh, but, talking about the rotation, where DS9 is up next for us, so we're going to be uh, watching Deep Space Nine and TNG and TOS randomly. Um, because we can kind of with those series, and Voyager too, randomly. Um, Enterprise, and if we watch, end up throwing in Discovery, we will watch those in chronological order, because they're more meant to be watched that way. Yeah. So, let's find out what Deep Space Nine episode we're going to be watching for next week.
0: Alright, so I have my uh, little trusty uh, decision app up here, so I'm going to spin the wheel first to see which season we are going to delve into. And we are looking at season five. Alright, so if I bring up Deep Space Nine season five and give that one a spin, we shall see what episode we are going to watch. Okay, uh, it is Season 5, Episode 3, and it's titled, Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's a
2: very strange title. Yes. I don't know what Parmok is. It's is a... that a person, or is it?
1: No, it's Looking for Love, is what that... Parmok. Yeah.
2: Uh, what, ling- of what species uses that? Klingon. Oh, it's Cleon. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, so this is going to be probably...
1: So Worf uh, is Worf on... Dax? Yeah, so it's... Um, I do remember that I'm on IMDb, so I do I do remember this episode because this is, you know, my favorite series out of the Star Trek shows. So this is a good episode. I'm looking forward to I it. I can tell because you're laughing. Yeah. You're laughing. So hopefully it's... <laughs> is it funny? Uh, Yes. And it's just a good episode. Nice. Good. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so that will be our next episode that we record, um, where we will delve into Deep Space Nine.
2: Yeah, so if you guys are listening, uh, watch watch that episode, Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places, before you listen to us, because we will be doing our quiz, and if you want to play along and you don't remember the episode very well, maybe watch it to refresh your memory and see how well you can do on the quiz and kind of play along with us. With that, uh, guys, I forgot, we forgot to come up with a, a question we we're going to ask for this week. What would be a good question?
0: I was thinking, um, what character would you like to see come up in Picard season two? Oh, that's a good one. Would you like to see a particular type of new character? Is there someone from previous uh, seasons or series of Star Trek that you really want to catch up with? So, just let us know what you think on that. Um, you can reach out to us over on our various social medias. Um, over on Twitter, at Tribbles Podcast. On Instagram, we are Tribbles and Transporters Podcast. And then um, Facebook page, Tribbles and Transporters. And our email, uh, transporters at gmail.com. Yep.
2: And the links are in the description of the episode. You want to check those out. Get a quick way to uh, reach us. Well, I guess we'll look forward to some Klingon love next week. <laughs> <laughs> we always know how that
0: turns out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Trips to sick bay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time.
1: Bye, guys.
0: Bye, bye.